Welcome to the Resourceful HDR podcast. I'm Sally Purcell, and in this podcast, I explore high-degree research, HDR, career and employment experiences, how individuals have made career decisions, navigated transitions, and helped others to build a career. In Australia, HDR usually includes Master of Research, PhDs, and Professional Doctorates. I hope you enjoy this podcast. My guest today on the Resourceful HDR podcast is Shivani Sashdev. Shivani was awarded a Master of Research Biomedical Science in 2017 at Macquarie University and recently submitted her PhD thesis. Shivani's research project was entitled Molecular Pharmacology of Cannabinoids Mm -hmm. Beyond THC, which she completed in the laboratory under the supervision of Professor Mark Connor, Professor of Pharmacology, Department of Biomedical Sciences and Associate Dean, HDR at Macquarie University. Shivani loved juggling a lot of different things alongside her PhD, including taking on the role of Vice President of MedSoc, Creative Producer of TEDxMQ, participant in the Future STEM Leaders Program, and was also an IMNIS mentee. Aside from her fascination with research and work in academia, Shivani likes to swim, cook, watch TV, and is also planning on taking guitar classes this year. Following the completion of her PhD in cannabinoid pharmacology, Shivani accepted a postdoc at Indiana University in the USA with Professor Ken Mackey and will be relocating within the next month. Thanks for joining me today, Shivani. Thank you for having me, Sally. So what led you to do a Master of Research and then a PhD? And what led you to study in Australia? So I was always this little annoying girl who would always ask a lot of questions. And I wanted to know how things worked. And I knew that research is something I want to do, knowing my curiosity of uh, finding out different things. So I I didn't know how it felt to be in lab for like a, a long period of time because I never had a taste of it. But when I did Master of Research, I actually knew how how things work, how I'm going to plan and implement. So I really liked my MRS. It was very stressful, but I really, really enjoyed that time. And I loved research. One part of me was like, do it. And one part of me was like, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna do research. I'm going to do PhD and we'll see how it goes from there. Yeah. So what undergraduate had you done and where had you done that? So I, I did undergrad in India. I did biotechnology. And then my master was about synthetic cannabinoids. Synthetic cannabinoids are very different to natural cannabis. And people assume that synthetic cannabinoids would have similar high as natural cannabis, but that's not true. It's much more potent. The effect of synthetic cannabinoids are much more powerful than the natural cannabis. It's like it gives instant high and it has severe adverse effect, including kidney damage, heart failure. And when I actually started working on it, I realized that there's not much done in this field. Like obviously there are great scientists working on this, but still there are many people dying. I want to find more about it. Like this is just the beginning of this whole new world and I want to be part of it and I want to know more. And this is how I decided to do PhD. And of course, Mark was very supportive. So how did you actually decide upon Macquarie University and Mark Connor's lab? Uh, For for MRES, and I really wanted to work on cannabinoid pharmacology. And he was very welcoming. Yeah, he seems like a nice, genuine person. And and I really liked the research. 
I read some of the papers from the lab and I was like, yep, I am going to I'm going to apply for that and see how things work out for me. Yeah. And so you knew before you started the MRES that you did intend to do a PhD. Mm-hmm. Did that change at all or was it just really confirmed once you were doing the MRES here? When I actually finished MRES, I knew I wanted to do a PhD. I knew that this journey of research is not yet over for me. But inside me, a part of me was telling, if it doesn't work out or if, you know, if things don't work out with PhD, I'm going to gain so many skills that I'm sure I'll be fine. It's not the end of this world. I'll be fine. I was like, let, let's just get into it because I knew that if I take a break or do something, I might change my mind. So I was like, I, I am on the track now and I should just go for it. Since you've submitted your PhD, I have spoken to you and you're still going to the lab and people yeah. are saying, what are you doing? You're still coming here. And then, of course, on Twitter, I'm seeing all these papers that you're sharing. And so yeah. it obviously is just, you know, intrinsic that you have this real fascination with this area and with research. And I was just focusing on submitting, but I really wanted to do other stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that curiosity that you had as a child mm-hmm. remains today, really. I think so. I'm still that annoying girl. (laughs) (laughs) Not so annoying. So you've been in Australia for five years now. Can you remember what it was like when you first arrived as an international student? I moved here when I was 22. Mm. So I was very, like, I wouldn't say very overwhelmed. I was a bit overwhelmed with everything around me. But I I don't know. People were very nice to me, very helpful. And uh, the first day I tried Vegemite. Uh, but I actually thought it's actually a dense, smelly version of Nutella. And it wasn't a good experience. Like, and that bloke who was actually making me taste, he was like, apply more, apply more oh. on the bread. And I was like, oh no, this tastes awful. But now I like, I like it when I actually put some butter, like, you know. Nice thin yeah. spread. Yeah, so that's yeah. the Australian sense of humour that you got to <laughs> experience. Yeah, yeah, I did. And then slowly I started liking everything about it. And uh, I felt like home. So what helped you adjust to Australia and get that feeling that it was a bit like home? Uh, I had a bunch of friends who were very nice to me. They would always help me, like, when I will go out. And they'll, like, they'll show me places around. I just blend in. Yeah, like, I never had any problem. I know it sounds weird, but I never actually. I think I was made to come here, like... You know? Right. It was just yeah. a really good fit. Yeah. And I guess also that's your, you brought that attitude with you. Yeah, like I came over here with open heart and mm. was like ready to embrace, ready to jump in into all the opportunities, whatever comes my way. Yeah, so there was there was literally not a problem. It was like a walk in the park. So what do you feel that you've learned through that process of living and studying in another country? And what have been the stresses? Like you've talked about it being a walk in the park, but we really know there was lot of challenges. You've done a, yeah, an MRES yeah, and a PhD That's, yeah. that just comes with the territory. So what have you learned about yourself and through that experience and yeah, what were the points that were quite stressful and how did you get through those? Of course there was stressful time. Hmm. Like while I was writing my thesis, my grandmother passed away. It was very, very sad and knowing that I'm not there for my mum was more hurtful. Like when I do something, I put my heart into that. And I was writing my thesis, and I just wanted to see that blossom. And I didn't want to get distracted with anything. But at the same time, I knew what my mom was going through, and I was feeling bad that I was not there for her. But it's hard for me to articulate my feelings into words. And 
probably I didn't show that very clearly and my mom was also hurt on that side of the world. So I think that was very hard for me. It's not like I don't have emotion, it's just that sometimes it's just, it's very hard to express when you are into yeah, something. So yeah, so focused and yeah. you know, you've spent five years leading up to this as it was a way of compartmentalizing feelings yeah. so that you That's sort it. of have yeah. to go, I, I feel very deeply about this and if I let myself do that, mm-hmm. I won't be able to finish this thesis. So, you know, I'll have to put that aside until I have the time to focus on that grief. That is such a difficult thing for yeah. international students, people living it is, in a yeah. way. Mm. I, I usually keep my phone on, like when I sleep next to me, that if something happens, I'd be able to like mm. pick their phone up straight away. Yeah, it's just hard to stay away from mom and dad. And mm. I just want to know what they're going through, even though there's nothing much I could do from here. That's right. But just yeah. being there is difficult because you're not just, you know, around the corner. Yeah, mm. yeah. So some people have said that it can feel like an anticlimax when submitting the PhD. You've recently done that. Uh, <laughs> what was it like for you mm. when you submitted it? And how have you coped with that shift? When I submitted a thesis, like I realized it's just a click of button and then your whole hard work, patience, resilience, it's all gone in just one click, like whatever you have done. and. That feeling was very weird to me. So I tried to gather people around me before I actually submit my thesis. I wish it was the old traditional way where I could feel like the fresh, crisp paper or, um, you know, the smell of that holding that book. Mm, that tangible hand. Yeah, feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did not have that. But I had all those people around me who actually supported me, including my supervisor. Yeah, and that was good. That's great. And what about since that time? It's been a, what, a few weeks now? How long has it been? Yeah, I think it's been three weeks. Yeah. So what have you done? Because, you know, as I say, I have talked to a lot of people and they, they experience this slump. This may yet happen, but knowing you, I, I, I sort of get the feeling that it probably won't because you have this attitude about things that this is the next stage. But what do you think has helped you in that period of post-submission to stay quite buoyant? To be honest, the day I submitted my thesis, I felt a bit lost. Yeah, right. I was like, okay, this is done. What now? Because last two months I was just writing mm. um, and trying to finish it. And now, like, it's done. It's gone. Like, what am I supposed to do now? I went back home and I started making brownies for no reason. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but then slowly I was like, what do I want to do? This past few years, it was stressful. I had good times. I had rewarding times in research, which was very nice. But what do I want to do now? I was thinking about self-care, and I was prioritizing myself above everything. No, I'm just going to read a book today, and I'm going to go to cafe, nearby cafe. I'm just going to sit there for as long as I want. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to like, oh, I'm going to have like a pedicure next week. So I, I did little things to make me feel better. And with that, I also was like, actually, I would like to go back to lab and do some experiments. There's some new synthetic cannabinoids. I should say that I'm using this time to manage time better and have like a work-life balance. I couldn't do that for the last three years. I was trying my best. I can't say I've completely nailed it down. I haven't, and I'm still trying to figure figure it out how to have like a proper work-life mm. balance. And it's hard. It's mm. it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that might be lifelong, really, because yeah. you have that curiosity, yeah. and it is hard to separate the love of that with the actual work. So yeah. you know, it, it is a, a tricky thing. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you've done well, and so. 
perhaps what people could do is actually make a list of things that they'd mm. like to do post-PhD before yeah. they yeah. get yeah. to the point of submission. Yeah, I visited winery, tasted uh, <laughs> some wines, it was good. Yeah, so I feel like I, I'm taking off things, but I'm adding some new things as well. Yeah, so yeah. just that self-improvement in a broader sense as well is mm-hmm. important too. Yeah. yeah. So can you talk about your Master of Research project and how you moved from that research project to the one that you chose for your PhD? Because that's the model here at, at Macquarie where we offer the mm-hmm. Master of Research with the hope that people will learn a lot through that process, learn some research methodology as well as perhaps start researching an area that they may actually continue and broaden or deepen mm-hmm. within their PhD. Did that happen for you? It did. As I said before, that I started working on these new psychoactive substances. And I, while I was doing my master's, I knew that this is something that can be done during PhD. So what we did is I used a mathematical modeling to quantify how powerful some of the synthetic cannabinoids from the first time they came into the black market to the most recent ones. I quantified how powerful they are compared to the natural cannabis, which is uh, the component which gives people the feeling of high is THC. So we compared all of them to THC and we found that some of the synthetic cannabinoids were up to 300 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's disturbing. But yeah, it's like, yeah, they were so powerful and I never expected that. I realized that I wanted to do this. In master, I was just screening all the synthetic cannabinoids. This was the first study to actually It was never quantified before. So we thought this is something we could actually do. It's always a collaborative work. So I did that during my PhD. I feel like it's good to have a plan when you actually start a PhD, and I did. But as things were coming, because these drugs are cooked into into the lab, and people come up with new drugs all the time, so you just have to be flexible with your plan, move around. And there was a very recent case of rat poison mixed with synthetic cannabinoids. So Mark was like, how about we do this? So I was like, sure. I got the cells out and did an experiment where we actually looked into the effect of if rat poison would modulate the effect of synthetic cannabinoids. Yeah, so things like that, like I think you want to, you should know what is out there, what is happening, and you should work around it. Because mm-hmm. there's this human intervention, Yeah, you, you absolutely need to stay on top of it. In fact, you'll never completely stay on top of it. Yeah, you actually never, that's true, because there's new psychoactive substances coming like all the time. So we try to keep up with it as much as we can. How do you see that the Master of Research grew into the PhD? So as we all know, uh, medical cannabis is legally is a, is recently legalized in Australia. So one ingredient in, in cannabis plant called cannabitiol, it has been approved by FDA recently for the treatment of rare type of epilepsy in kids. And some research has shown that CBD or cannabitiol actually has anti-inflammatory, anti-emetic, or anti-psychotic properties. So it has gained a lot of interest as a natural treatment under codes for a range of health conditions. What I actually mean is there is CBD-infused toilet paper, there's CBD-infused bath bomb, there's CBD in dog food, there's CBD to enhance sex drive, there's CBD in chocolate, there's CBD in everything. But is, is it a miracle drug which really does everything? Like, you know, it's a huge market and people are making most of it. So uh, other part of my research was to look at 
what CBD actually does and the mechanism through which CBD is, is used for the treatment of epilepsy or a different range of head condition and how is it doing it. Mm, that's yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. Because as we know, many people jump on these bandwagons mm-hmm. and make a lot of money with very little evidence. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. really important that people like yourself and Mark and the lab and others working in this field get the genuine evidence. And then the difficult thing is to get that information out there where it makes an impact on the general populace. Yeah, yes. Uh, we undertook a collaborative research in our lab with the University of Otago where we looked at the activity of cannabinoids at, at multiple targets in a uniform in vitro assay and that has given us some answers and we can't actually wait to get it out there. Yep. So while you are completing your PhD, which is a big undertaking for anyone, you also took part in the MNIS Industry Mentoring in STEM program. You're paired with Brad Walsh from Monomics. Could you talk about your experience with Monomics and IMNIS in general? I think that was the best decision I ever took in my life this far. Like, I always wanted to know how industry feels. Like, where would I fit in industry if I want to go to industry? Or what are the different opportunities, different sectors in industry? But I actually had no idea and I was trying to find it and being the vice president of Metsoc, we actually decided to have beyond academia seminar series because I think it's very important for students to also know that there is world beyond academia and I didn't knew that time but listening to all these people and their journey of how, from where did they start and where they are, it was very uh, exciting and I thought oh maybe there's a possibility for me as well. That was where I first met Brad, actually, and I decided to be part of IMNIS program. I have learned a lot. Like, I had the opportunity to go to Ausbiotech conference in in Brisbane. So it was very different setting to an academic conference. There were different rooms, and uh, you already have pre-planned meetings with all the industries. So what you do, you go, you sit, you start. You actually propose your plan to them and they would listen and you know if they want to invest all good no out yeah so this is how it, it was actually i've never seen anyone taking decision like this fast mm. because in academia we think a lot we just think a lot i love thinking as well i was like what is happening here like every meeting was 15 minutes and can you imagine from nine to five how many meetings i have been to with him i was shocked mm. but it was good it was good to see how productive it was yeah, so th- that was a turning point. I could see like, oh, wow, it's it's so efficient. And I really like that side of industry. And he made me like get out there, get out of my comfort zone and interact with so many different people. And that really helped me expand my own networks. Yeah, and we did like a little mock interview, which was also a part of IMNIS program. I took it very lightly and I went there and I was like, oh my God, look at all those four people <laughs> sitting on the other side of the table. What is happening here? But oh, that was really good. So they good. actually had a panel as the mock interview. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, and I learned like what to do and what not to do during interview, <laughs> which was good because I never had a proper interview mm. before. So that that was a very good experience. Mm. And then he also helped me build my CV. So there's so many things I learned along this whole program. And I really recommend every PhD student to make most of it. Like being a part of IMNIS is a different thing, but making most of it is another different thing. So you have to be out there. If your mentor is not contacting you, 
send him an email, send him a message, meet for coffee, catch up. I think if you show initiative, I'm sure the other person would also feel like you are interested and... And worth supporting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The issue with imness, of course, it's only available to STEM. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes more difficult for others. However, I believe there's lots of opportunities for people to seek out their own mentor. And yeah, actually, course. it's probably a good idea to have more than one. You know, yeah, and there's, no, as if one person can supply everything, that you have a variety of mentors. No, and I agree with you. Mentor like, others. Uh, whenever I have an academic issue or anything around me, I go to Mark. Whenever I have industry, like, you know, I go to Brad. And whenever I have to just talk, I need some guidance. I come to you, you know, I talk to you. I come to you and just share anything which I can't share to other people. Yeah, I know that you're always there for me and I know what to get from where, which is very important. You should know that. Yeah, and it's not like I, I've, I've gone beyond that. When, when I was actually, before I actually accepted this job, I talked to so many people about it. And then I was like, of course it is good. Like, I just wanted that push. You know, you wanted something and then finally it's in your hand and you're like, oh, what should I do now? Mm. So you just wanted that push. And I think I got it from so many different people in so many different levels. When we're talking about this postdoc that you've accepted. So you visited yeah. Ken Mackey in his lab. Yeah. And so he was obviously impressed with you. And I think you told me that you went and he invited you to come and speak. Can you tell, tell us about that? What happened there? Yeah, so that, it's a very funny story. So he asked me if I want to talk about my research, and I said, sure, why not? Um, I'll be happy to talk about some of the recent research from my lab. And I always take all these opportunities. I love science communication, making science available to everyone. So I was like, sure, I will do it. And I thought it's a good opportunity for them to know what I am doing during my PhD. It was all good. I thought it's a lab meeting presentation. It's going to be fine. I'll do all right. So while I was actually there in Indiana University, I was looking for that building. And I saw a poster with my name in it and the topic and everything about me. And I was like, OK, is this how they do lab meet? Because, wow, that is like over the top. <laughs> and then I saw that poster like almost everywhere. I was like, what is happening? And when I met him, I asked him, is this how lab meeting is done here? Because that's very sweet. Yeah, and then he said, no, no, no. It's a faculty seminar, and you're going to speak to everyone in the faculty. And I was like, oh, wow. I did not see that coming. OK, this is a very good opportunity, a bit overwhelming. I've never done like a seminar presentation in a different faculty somewhere in the US. Uh, so it's like, OK, I think I'll be fine. And then he told me that people do not understand the basics of pharmacology here, so you need to take them through the basics as well. And I was like, OK, this gives me quite a confidence that people don't know pharmacology that well. Yeah, so I was like, I did it. And the presentation was next day, and I did pretty well, I think, uh, because I knew he was very impressed, and I knew a lot of people uh, we're asking questions. So you know that people were keen to learn more about cannabinoids. And that is where he actually realized what I have been doing during my PhD, what I'm capable of. And I think he could see that I was a really good fit in his lab. And he asked me if I wanted to move to America that time, but I did not have a definite answer that time. Yeah, hmm. I was shocked that he asked that. While you're doing a PhD, you also took part in the Future STEM Leaders Program in 2018. 
How did you come to be involved in the program and what did you learn through that experience? Believe me, I actually read that as future women's STEM leader. <laughs> yeah, that was in my head. And I knew how difficult it is for women to stand, like take a stand in academia or survive in academia. And I was like so happy that, oh, there is something for us and I just signed up for it. And after that, I realized you know, it's actually future STEM leader, which is for everyone but again it was good I knew like I could see that it's for a few months and there will be uh, a workshop every few weeks I like the whole, whole curriculum like I like that how it was organized and everything and I love that I knew what I'm gonna get from each of this workshop and then I actually realized it's it's very it will be very good for me knowing that I'll get to know students from different departments and I would love to know what they are doing, what their research is about. I met a guy who is doing who is in mathematics department, someone working on whales. So I I love the diversity I was seeing there. Um, and I didn't feel alone. Like PhD could be isolating. Like we we spend so much time in lab. Even though I have like a good bunch of lab mates around me all the time who are so supportive, and they have been like major part of my enjoyment like this last five years here. I wanted to know what other people are doing. Like I wanted to know different fields in Macquarie University, and now we are so good friends. If I know if I have anything going on and I could just ring Leanne or Hosai, they'll be happy to help me with anything. And I think it's vice versa. We have made that connection. Yeah, so I was very glad that I got selected for Future STEM Leader. And I enjoyed every workshop, especially Play-Doh, which was led by you. You know how many times we look at presentation and we remember the bar graph and the charts? No, I don't. If it's not in my field, I would not remember that. So Play-Doh was so like I, I remember that day was very stressful for me uh probably experiment didn't work or anything and i came there and i was playing with the play-doh and it just felt so good and what i really liked is i remember different type of research that people that people presented that day using play-doh one of them was e-cigarette yeah one of them was about whales so i, I really like that i really like that way of actually uh presenting your research yeah. yeah, because the brief was to show your research to, to people who were from the general public, and I think we said we imagined it was to year nine students, and then everyone had to use the Play-Doh to do really data visualisation. And yeah, it was, yeah. it, I remember them too. I remember yeah. the hospital change, and there were so many mm -hmm. really good things. Yeah. And that people then were able to speak about it. And the feedback was that people understood how to crystallise what mm -hmm. they were doing to be able to tell someone who wasn't in their field. And, and it was such a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, yeah, and I really like that we all were sitting together. We're really into it. I could see that in everyone's faces that we were really making those Play-Doh, trying to be more creative. And I think sometimes in research, we just go into deep of uncovering something that we actually forget the big pictures. So it was good to come back to that and remind ourselves of the bigger picture there using Play-Doh. It was so much fun. Another thing I would like to tell, which I really liked about Future STEM Leader, is the we, we were given this small task of self-reflection. I thought that was very helpful. There was something which was bothering me, and I wrote that, and I discussed it with someone. It was deep inside me for a very long time. I think it was good to have it pen on paper, and mm. I could just put everything out there. And get clarity. How it was set up was mm -hmm. 
that you had a buddy that you could share your journal yeah, with yeah. because obviously it's too much for one person to look at. So I think that worked really well and and certainly I know there's one of the people who is an experimental physicist and yeah. and he was quite it was quite foreign to him but he embraced it so much and yeah. I feel that that really shifted the way he looked at things. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to have more reflection so people could solve those other issues that are going on yeah. that are underlying and they may not even be aware of them. Yeah, and now like it doesn't bother me. I take it very light. It's not something that is cringing me like, you know. Now it's like all good. It happens like, you know. It was just nice to get it out there and discuss it with someone and that someone telling you they exactly feel the same way and you know that you're not into this alone. It was good. So from the future STEM leaders grew the TEDx MQ. <laughs> which was such a massive undertaking. And I was lucky enough to attend that event and see the fabulous work that you all did. And there was such a number of PhDs, but then you also brought in undergraduates and other people Mm -hmm. to actually support that. And they were just such an incredible group of people. But I was lucky enough to work with you on the networking session at lunchtime and it was a great event, the whole TEDx and our little networking session. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you manage to cope with that additional workload? Because that was really massive while you're undertaking your PhD. See, I've always prioritised my research, but I feel like research itself, just staying in lab and, you know, or writing, it could get boring. Like it's, it's a vanilla for me. I want to spice it up. So I do different things, extracurricular activities to to broaden my skills as well. And I thought TEDx was a very good opportunity. It was good that we get to work together for that speed networking event. And I really like that. I would plan my day every day in the morning and I would just have a to-do list of what I have to do. And I'll always have TEDx in the bottom. So I always give some time to TEDx, like every day, an hour or two, thinking of what I need to do or whom I need to contact for what. So Leanne was the creative director and she she was very, very organized. <laughs> I, I'm she not that organized. organized. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Leanne Ruggiero. Yeah, of course. I actually get to learn so much from everyone in TEDx, seeing how they work. And I could see that different people have different approach to different things. And I think there was so much to learn from all of them, actually all of them. It was a good learning point for me because I could ma- I could see that I was managing my time better and I knew that, okay, this I have to block this two hours for TEDx and I did that and I learned so much from my networking event as well. How was your experience, Sally? Yeah, the speed networking. Yeah. I remember it felt chaotic, but we yeah. had organised it really well and I yeah. think we came up with some really good ideas between us and it was fun yeah. organising it. Yeah. And then on the day... You know, because it was just people coming in and out, and it was in an open plan in mm. the in the students or the campus commons. But people seemed to really enjoy it in the end, and I I really appreciated. I think we, you and I, could not have done that without those fabulous volunteers. volunteers. Yeah. They were amazing. But it, yes, I think it was really fun, and people really did enjoy it, and it helped the people that had come, mm. particularly if they were by themselves, to actually get to talk to talk different people. Like, I really wanted people to talk, but I know, like, people want to, but they're a bit shy. They just need that push. And I think those questions which were prepared were triggering that mm. conversation. And I was very happy mm. that we did that. And uh, I could see that so many people were interested. At once, our whole tables were full. People yeah. were waiting outside <laughs> to come. That's right. Yeah. We're ringing yeah. the bell. It was, yeah. 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 No, it was really fun. And, and it just shows you just, yeah, just find some questions that are... You know, a general you question. Start the conversation, yeah. Yeah. And then it can go from there. I, I agree. Good. So you'll be leaving us soon to move to the USA. 
to take up the postdoc we've mentioned. One of the things you talked about was, you know, giving that talk to the faculty and how that opportunity almost landed in your lap. When someone sees a, an opportunity and then they go through and decide where they're going to apply, that's one decision. And then it's the matter of going through and finding what you have and spending hours on writing the job application, and doing all those things. So you've started to make these yeah. decisions in your mind, whereas for you, this was fabulous and yeah. you were given this offer. But because you hadn't actually been the, the agent of this, mm. it, I think that's where you, you struggled a little with the decision. Would you yeah. agree with that? So when I came back from US, I could actually see that I'm going to fit in that lab very well. And I would learn so much, like so many different techniques. And of course, everything in US is huge. So I'm, of course, going to collaborate with so many different labs. And I knew that this would be a big stepping stone for me in my career. I knew all of that. But again, you know, thinking of moving to US was just very overwhelming for me, getting far from everyone. Yeah, like I didn't put like a proper application, as you mentioned, I didn't have to do anything. It was just there in my hand. I think I knew somewhere in my head that I really want this, but I was scared, yeah. Like I'm so glad that I did take this opportunity because I know Professor Ken is such a nice person and uh, Bloomington is, is a very beautiful place. Like it's small, but it's very beautiful. It might be a bit intimidating for me because everyone is like there all the time. It's like a campus, mm. it's like university and then a country so, town or, yeah, or a small yeah, city. Yeah, so I'm very excited for it. And of course, I'm going to miss everyone here. It hasn't hit me really that I'm leaving or I'm moving that far. I'm still going to lab, doing experiments, having fun here. Yeah, I think uh, it will hit me later. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think it might. But yeah, I'm sure you'll get a few visitors over there. Yeah, I really hope that. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. Well, and you know, thanks for joining me though today, Shivani, because I know there's a lot of things on your plate to get organised before you go to the US and I will really miss you. I want to miss you too. <laughs> so, yes. Thank we'll keep you in... so much for having me. Yeah, no, yeah, it's been a pleasure and we'll keep in contact. Of course, we will. I look yeah. forward to following your career. You have just listened to an episode of the Resourceful HDR podcast about the career and employment experiences of high degree researchers, that is, Master of Research, PhD and Professional Doctorate candidates, graduates and others in the HDR ecosystem. You can also find me on Twitter as ResourcefulHDR and on LinkedIn, Sally Purcell at Macquarie University. Macquarie University students and staff can also access the HDR Professional Development iLearn site. Mm-hmm.